Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I am your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Uh, hello, Kat. It's been a week of surprises, hasn't it? Oh, tell me about these surprises. I'm curious. What happened? Well, I think the biggest one was probably the drop of Deltarune, Chapter 2. That was a surprise. It was the, what was it, the six-year anniversary of Undertale? What a perfectly weird anniversary on which to drop the second part of Deltarune. Isn't it, though? Like, yeah, when they mentioned, uh, Toby Fox said, okay, we're doing a stream for uh, the sixth anniversary of Undertale for some reason. So everyone was like, okay, yeah, they're going to they're going to reveal chapter two. And sure enough, they did right at the end. And it was actually, it was a lot of fun. I haven't gotten to play it yet, but I've heard great things. Friend of the pod, Rebecca Valentine was monitoring the stream for IGN. And there was much excitement in the slack from her when the announcement came through that it was going to be happening. Yeah. Eric Van Allen, another friend of the show, went absolutely bananas on his Twitter. Or apparently he went crazy on a, on a train or something. Like he was on a train when he got the news and he yelled, or I don't know what happened, but it sounded pretty funny. <laughs> Good old Eric. Well, Nadia, we have a special patron-provided topic this week. Yes, our $50 patrons get to come up with their own topic. And this one is from Drew Walranis. Thank you so much, Drew, for contributing at the $50 level. And the topic is bards with a Z. I can almost imagine you um, <laughs> graffitiing this all over Acts of the Blood God. This is very you, Nadia. <laughs> I'm just imagining, why would I graffiti the word bards with a Z? Like, what am I, what statement am I making? Bards. I don't know. <laughs> they exist. The blood god graffiti right there. I, bards. I think in the, it's hardcore. I think in the notes, I put the Z. So I was just like, uh, bards. And I think what, I've just come the... up with some good merch for the show. Bards <laughs> with a Z. <laughs> in the graffiti style. Edward on there smoking a joint or something. That'd be pretty great. We're gonna launch a show. We're gonna launch a store before too long. So this, uh, so we got to get some good T-shirt concepts in there. So I we think have some cards. We have some good stuff going. Like we have the yeah. our 300th episode print is still fantastic. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Recently got the print, or rather, I recently got the artwork for Charlie and Dropouts, which mm. is also fantastic. Oh yeah, so we should sell that too. I think oh, we will. Yeah, and don't forget the pins, which are oh, limited yeah. edition. Yes, got the pins. I only have a handful of them left. If you want a special order, you can just always ping me and say, hey, Kat, give me a pin. I will pay you the monies and I will uh, pass one along to you. That said, uh, once they're gone, they're gone. So I, I might keep them in my back pocket, figuratively speaking, for an event someday. Oh, that's a good idea. Who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. someday we'd have a merch booth if we ever got we go to PAX East. I'll bring the pins with me and whoever is there to see us do a live show, they can buy a pin. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool, yeah. I might do a year two pin next year, but it, it was an illuminating and fun exercise to sell a bunch of pins, I have to say. They are good pins. Oh, they're amazing pins. I'm so happy with how they turned out. I cannot tell you, Nadia. Like, I am kind of a pin, like, aficionado, I guess you could say. So having a pin for my show is just like a dream come true. Yeah. No, I have mine on my purse. Right on. All right, Nadia. Besides that, we're going to be talking about all the news and what we've been playing. But first, if you enjoy the show, please go ahead and leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. It brightens our day and helps the visibility of the show. I'm on Twitter at the underscore Kappa. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And of course, we have our Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, which in just a couple of days, you'll be able to get access to our great tales ranking 
part two if you're on the free feed, but you can listen to it right now if you are a patron. And Nadia, we had a great time with that two-part Great Tales ranking with our friends Victor Hunter and Kim Wallace. Yeah, that was a very um, that was a very fun little conversation to have, even though you and I aren't exactly Tales aficionados yet. Uh, Kimberly and Victor certainly were. So there was a lot of conversation going on and it was all very illuminating and enlightening and fun. Somehow it devolved into James Bond discourse. I don't know how that happened. Right. Yeah. Because you guys were all ranking the Tales games next to James Bond's films. And I'm not a Bond fan. I haven't seen many of the films. So I'm just like, I don't know my golden eyes from my Moonrakers. So I guess I'll just be quiet. (laughs) One of them is good. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what constitutes a good James Bond film. They all kind of blend in together to me. I did a I did a Twitter thread basically saying there were good four good Bond films and the rest were just all pretty bad. That yeah, it seems like a series where you get your few really really good ones and you watch those and you're okay, you're good, you're fine mm-hmm. and I guess if you're really into James Bond you can watch the filler stuff because hey, why not? You're a fan. I watched From Russia with Love some years back on a plane flying home. That's how, you know, that was a while ago because it was on an airplane. And it was really boring. Like, (laughs) it was really slow. The pacing was very stilted. Everything, it was, like, very sexist at all times. It was actually an uncomfortable watch. I didn't enjoy it. I think I preferred Austin Powers uh, to From Russia with Love. (laughs) Well, Austin Powers is pretty much a classic. I mean, you gotta. I mean, it's a classic of American cinema at this point. Everybody loves Austin Powers for some reason. When I'm on the plane, I usually watch Pixar movies that I missed, so I Uh, just don't fill in time. That yeah, that's the problem. Planes were always when I would be catching up on movies, right? Yeah. And now I can't do that anymore. (sighs) Maybe soon. Maybe soon. Well, Nadia, speaking of catching up, we have a lot of games to be playing right now and i think we are both playing eastward given that you wrote holy shit eastward in what we're playing (laughs) yes i am certainly playing eastward really enjoying it i have a few complaints about like how the combat doesn't feel uh it feels a little bit stilted like um the way i've only i've only been playing as john the main character i don't know if you can play as other characters except for him and uh, sam but i find that sometimes the aiming the the swinging is a little bit off like i tend to swing into enemies and they hurt me and then they hurt me again before I can get away. Like it's just a little bit weird, but uh, the graphics are absolutely astounding. Just. Oh yeah. Beautiful, beautiful game. Kind of reminds me of an even better version of Stardew Valley in terms of the art, which is a real compliment. I think. I think it reminds me most of mother three's art, most mother three sprites with more animation frames and more Certainly colors. In the art style. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And obviously the whole game is a tribute to earthbound. So that's not surprising in the least. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I mean, we talk a lot about all these indie games that basically rip off earthbound. Earthbound is one of the favorite topics for indie RPGs to kind of crib from because they, I mean, Earthbound was like the original indie RPG, right? It was done by a yeah. comedian, a comic writer, and it had a certain sensibility that you're not going to find in a lot of self-serious RPGs. It has a real aesthetic that fits really well with indie RPGs. And it played around with the conventions of the genre a lot. I mean, go listen to our Top 25 RPG countdown episode of Earthbound. So I'm not surprised, but this game seems to almost kind of come close to capturing the earnestness 
of uh, of Earthbound. A lot of indie RPGs have they lack a certain sense of self awareness, and I think that was the strength of Earthbound. It was a very self aware game. Yeah, I've written in the past about how. Um, not to be mean about it, but a lot of indies try to be Earthbound and they lose their way very quickly because if you try to emulate Earthbound rather than just letting Earthbound guide you, not to sound like a Jedi, you're going to end up with something that's just a, a pale imitation of Earthbound and instead of something that is your own work. Whereas uh, Eastward is certainly its own thing. Like the graphics are there, the tributes are there, the self-awareness is there, but at the same time, it's very different from Earthbound. Like, for one thing, it's an action RPG instead of a turn-based RPG. That's a big difference right there. But the setting is so much different. It's just the, as you say, the earnestness of the characters and the setting, even though it's kind of underground a little bit, um, you know, dark in a way, it's it does emulate Earthbound in the most important ways. Kind of like Undertale found its own voice as well. It's, it's very much like that. Well, as we were kind of talking about, Undertale started almost as a, a remix of Earthbound. So I'm not really that surprised that Undertale and Earthbound are kind of that tight. As for myself, I can't say about this about many games, but it's one of those games that I feel really comfortable just falling asleep playing. Like the other night, I was dozing off. I had my Switch. I was just playing some Eastward. It is a very, very relaxing play. I love the vibes of it. How far have you gotten so far without spoiling? Oh, scrolling? not far at all. But I got to the point where I found the RPG tri- tribute with the, uh, the, that's like Dragon Quest. I forget. <laughs> what is, it. is it called Earthborn? Is that what Earthborn, it's called? Earthborn. Earthborn. It's yeah. and the the cartridge is literally the, the Famicom cartridge for Dragon Quest. Oh, it's delightful. The art is wonderful on it. And I love that they really thought through the system where they're talking about how the, I mean, they're just doing Journey to the West, which, I mean, not surprising because a lot of, Japanese media crips heavily from Journey to the West, but I love that they were like, and the monkey is in the back row and it can actually help your party even if it's not an active player. And I'm like, wow, they really thought this through, didn't they? It kind of reminds me of how Dragon Quest Three had the Joker character, the, the goof off it was originally called. And it was the same idea where it would the, the jester would sit in the back row and you never knew what they were going to do. And that's what the monkey does. The monkey might hit the enemy the monkey might buff your party but yeah he's just kind of hanging out there and you can also collect like kind of like gacha figurines like amiibo that you can put into the game and they'll give you boosts and buffs and all that stuff so i've been using them while going through earthborn and that's its own little separate game kind of and wait earthborn is its own thing like you just keep playing through it you can keep playing through it It's it's a little rpg i haven't like gotten too far into it but it's yeah, it's an RPG, and I feel like it's intertwined with the story of the of of uh, Eastward because uh, the characters in the game, uh, Sam, the main character, the main girl, she plays it a lot with her friends, and it becomes like a big point of discussion for them. So I haven't played it in a while in game because I'm kind of on the run. But yeah, it's uh, certainly an interesting addition. I'm really interested to see how it intertwines with the gameplay or if it does at all. Is it better or worse than Guadia Quest from Retro Game Challenge? That's what I want to know. <laughs> it's about the same, I would guess. It is very, very uh, Dragon Quest emulation, uh, random encounters, uh, difficult battles. So yeah, it's not easy. Let's rank the RPGs within RPGs. Oh my God, that would be something else. I'm really enjoying Eastward. I want to play more. I felt like the reviews were 
a slightly bit uh, kind of lukewarm on it, or at the very least, they weren't talking it up in ways that I was kind of expecting them to. A lot of people are like, this is really nice. And that seems to be kind of the discourse around this game in general, which is, this is really nice, but I want to keep plugging through it because, I don't know, sometimes a game just needs to be a warm blanket around my shoulders, and this one feels like it. It has an 86 on Metacritic, which is pretty good, which is oh, pretty no, darn that's good. Great. I love Sam. She's cute the, with the, the girl with the blonde hair. She's very energetic. And uh, of course, it's a dad game. With yeah, John it's very much everything. a dad game. She's a good foil for John, who just doesn't speak at all at all. Yes. But they still have this really cute relationship going on. And of course, it has to have its requisite anti-capitalist themes with the mean old boss who wants to dock your pay. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the mayor. For the hardworking miners and everything. Yeah. They get paid in fruit. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, yeah, no, check it out. It's over on the Nintendo Switch. It might be on PC as well. I'm not entirely sure. Or I is it remember. a Switch exclusive? I feel like it's a Switch exclusive, but it feels okay. like one of those games that will have like timed exclusivity and then it'll mm. go to, to PC at least. So Nadia, there is an RPG that's been out for a little bit now, and I feel really remiss in that we haven't talked about it. And it kind of speaks to a blind spot of this podcast, and I recognize it. And that's like, we know our strengths. Our strengths are definitely classic console RPGs, Japanese RPGs. Like, we'll go out of our way to review Neo, The World Ends With You or whatever. But a major PC RPG that came out just recently was Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. And I've been waiting for a good moment to talk about this game because it's been kind of an undercurrent. I don't think it's been picked up very much by mainstream publications either, like PC Gamer did a review of it, but I haven't seen like barely any discourse around Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. Basically, it's like modern day Baldur's Gate, right? Right. It's just trying to capture those vibes. It is very dense. Kotaku had an article about how incredibly dense the character creator was. Funnily enough, I didn't find the character creator to be that daunting because I just used one of the templates. It was fine. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm using a pre-gen. I don't care. I just want to get into the game. I think I've done that with games that kind of strike me as a little intimidating to get into. Yeah. Uh, key example being, what was it? Um, Etrian Odyssey. I just went with the templates because I don't know what I'm building. I don't care. Just, you know, try to keep me alive for a little while. That's all I ask. Uh, it stands out. It's a little buggy, but uh-huh. it stands out because in addition to doing a quest, you're also running a kingdom. So you're making kind of <laughs> sim-oriented kind of uh decisions in wrath of the righteous and i like uh, that are you a are you a vengeful god or a happy god oh definitely vengeful okay (laughs) no just kidding (laughs) i want my little people to love me of course you know i want them to worship me and love me because i'm a very insecure person nadia ah yeah but pathfinder wrath of the righteous uh i know that mike and jason wilson are playing it and so i'm thinking about getting them on the show to talk about it maybe next week we can kind of do a, a double episode because it's about time to do another PC RPG quest as well. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. It certainly sounds like a PC RPG, which is exactly what Mike and Jason Wilson would be into. Yeah, no. And it's a different fa- flavor and it's a different vibe. But exactly. I encourage you to check it out, especially if you're a big Baldur's Gate fan, because it really channels uh, those particular games, I think. And Pathri- Pathfinder Kingmaker was another game that... We didn't talk about too much, but I think it has definitely developed a pretty loyal following, especially now that they've <laughs> fixed the bugs. <laughs> yes, that's always a good step. 
yeah, I think Wrath of the Righteous was successfully crowdfunded and everything, just like Kingmaker and like some RPG notables were attached to it and everything. Anyway, I apologize. I really do want to cover as many RPGs as I possibly can, but we are also just two people and we can only cover, you know, so much at times. Yeah. Also, our audience is very heavily JRPG skewed and they uh, is reflected in the numbers. When we talk about JRPGs, they uh, when I talk about PC RPGs, I feel like I'm pushing against the tide a little bit at times because maybe a little bit like I know it's certainly my weak spot in many, many ways. But Mm -hmm. I mean, a good example is talking about Tales. We got a lot of interest out of that. Oh, yeah. Got a lot of interest out of Tales. We got a lot of interest out of your Final Fantasy IV character ranking and that kind of thing. Yeah, Um, exactly. People will say uh, they just do JRPGs. I have done my best to try and keep it balanced as much as possible. But You do. In in terms of PC RPGs and, uh, you know, Western RPGs, I tend to still skew console because, you know, Skyrim, Witcher, Mm -hmm. uh, Starfield, that kind of stuff. Like, definitely Bioware. Definitely all in my wheelhouse, maybe a little less so Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. Anyway, that's why we haven't talked about it. I am aware that it exists. (laughs) Okay? Yeah, I think that getting Mike and Jason on here would would Mm. make up for at least some of our shortcomings. And if you really want to hear us talk about Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous, uh, let me know on the social medias. Um, I I love hearing feedback on that kind of thing. Yeah, like tell us about the games that you want to talk about. Uh, beyond that, uh, Lost Judgment is out too. Nadia, have you been planning to pick it up? No, I I am so, so, so very, very behind in anything to do with Yakuza, that sort of universe. I am interested in it, don't get me wrong, but I just don't have time for it. You know what I mean? It's not on the top of my queue. It's not on top of my priorities. It's certainly something I will absolutely play if I ever get the time because I know Yakuza games are you know, they're, they're a tier. They're, they're just fantastic, but I just don't have the time to go for it. Unfortunately, I would like to though. I think I'm going to skip this one because it's not an RPG. Like Yakuza, like a dragon. That's true. It's the the beat em up version though. Um, apparently the high school quests are quite fun in this one. And it has a different vibe from your typical Yakuza game. Certainly worth playing though. I feel like it's gotten a little bit lost in the mix, maybe because it came out right when the, one two punch of death loop and tales of arise arrived as well yeah we are certainly in the mire of holiday releases i mean it's just coming on strong now yeah and by the way like i've been playing both death loop and tales of arise and i i'm digging to hills of arise it's good stuff <laughs> it's good stuff i got the mage girl uh she's fun to play with i, I like that each character has uh, a different kind of play style you yeah know? yeah I almost always stuck to Alfin because I just love his sword play. But mm. Rinwell, I think, is the female mage. And yeah, yeah, that's her. She has an adorable little owl, Hoodle. Oh, I love Rinwell. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> Hoodle's great. I love Hoodle so much. And I I actually like Shion. Um, I, look, she's just a cliche, right? I mean, Oh, she's the, totally like, like I said, like you, Baka. I don't like you. Oh, actually, I do like you. But, but I don't care because yeah. she's kind of a more of a badass than I was expecting. And she has a gun. I put her in one of the uh, the the outfits, you know, the premium outfits, and oh, she yeah. has a uh, a fancy gun, right? Yeah, I know <laughs> I, the one. I'm into because... the I'm into the energy gun. So yeah, I put like animal arrows on all my party members. Like, of course. you can give them the animal tails. Yeah. 
was like, hey, Final Fantasy fourteen people, here's your male Vieira. He's got bunny ears. What is that with anime, especially modern anime, in which all of the characters look like they're cosplaying? Like they're just, they just fell straight out of Otakon or something like that. And you're just going, why are you wearing this uber elaborate outfit? I get it. Like you want to be distinctive and interesting and you want the cosplayers to be attracted to the super elaborate outfits and everything, but it's almost distracting. They're so elaborate. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's really cool that Shion fights in a dress and she has a huge gun. Like that's pretty awesome. I love that she came out and like in super fancy, super elaborate dress. And it's just like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Because it's Tails. I mean, Tails is like the king of stupid elaborate costumes that are a lot of fun. I think constantly whenever I see characters like this, where I'm like, you're on the run. How early did you have to wake up to do your hair and makeup? You know, you had to be up (laughs) at three in the morning so that you could get everything going so that you could then wade through a swamp. As yeah. you're on the run from uh, enemy forces. doing your, Imagine doing your mascara by firelight Anna. and like trying to look at your reflection in a pool Terrible. of water or something. Battle makeup. <laughs> It'll be like, have you ever seen Airplane where that woman is trying to put on her makeup through the whole thing and she keeps, they keep hitting turbulence and she keeps screwing up her makeup? <laughs> That's what it's like. I mostly know Airplane through uh, the gifts. Oh, it's a classic movie. You got to watch it. I, oh, I can I know. quote it backwards and forwards. Uh, I, I that's definitely on my list. Maybe I'll, I'll watch it relatively soon. Speaking of death, uh, damn it, I almost did it. Speaking of Tales of Arise, Nadia, let's move on to the news. It's sold one million units. It's one of the fastest selling games in the entire series. It's off on a runner. It's been very well received on Metacritic. You can go listen to our review with Eric Van Allen of Tales of Arise from last week. And as far as I can tell, it is very much deserving of it, Nadia. Yeah, this might be the series' chance to really break into the mainstream, the way that Persona 5 helped Persona kind of get more into the uh, main dialogue for RPGs. I think it's been overwhelmed a little bit by Deathloop. Like, I feel like all of the discourse has been around Deathloop. And in fairness, Deathloop does look like a serious Game of the Year contender. It is a really fantastic game. But... Tales of Arise is gorgeous. I think that is a huge help. And like I said, it looks a lot like Genshin Impact. The only thing that I have reservations about is I don't like the accelerators. I don't like that you can spend a lot of money on items to basically make yourself godly. I don't like that you can spend money on items to make your power weapons overpowered. I get it. There are people who are very busy and want to be able to just blow through the game, but... I kind of raised my eyebrow at that stuff. Are you talking about Tales or Deathloop? Tales of Arise. Okay, because, yeah, I don't think I ever used anything like that. I just... Uh... You don't have to. I don't no. think so. But I think and one thing we haven't talked about is in the past, I feel like Tales might have had some uh, balance issues around this. So it, there's it, certainly it some discord. There's certainly some discourse around it, both on Resetera and maybe even in our own Discord. So it's a little like Pokemon Unite, where... I think that the discourse around the microtransactions in that game have uh, dropped off somewhat because they haven't proven to be absolutely game breaking, but they're there. Yeah. And I just I feel like it's creeping back in. You know, they're finding ways to get these dang microtransactions back into these games that don't like it. 
Well, I mean, with the success of Genshin Impact, I'm not surprised it's happening. Yeah. Well, I mean, they know that they can get people to spend and spend wildly on their digital costumes. And they will. They absolutely will. Yeah. I mean, my review copy came with some costumes. And yeah, yeah I used too. those for fun. But I never bought anything. Yeah, I was actually a little uncomfortable with the fact that they uh, sent like all of those like premium costumes as well. Like at the end, I couldn't resist putting Shion in one of the, the premium costumes. Well, <laughs> like, of course. I I mean, got, I'm a freaking hypocrite. <laughs> I'm not made of stone. They're there. They're cool. I mean, they're fun. Yeah. I didn't use any of the, but they also had item packs. Yeah. That they sent as well, like that had... I didn't claim those. I was like, ah, no, nah, that feels cheap. I'm not going to claim any of these. And also the um, the fancy guns. They sent those to, I'm like, I'm not using these either. Why did you send these to me? Yeah, speaking of of, of uh, difficulty balance, I know there was a lot of complaints about how some of the costumes do come with skill wheels that yeah. can give you some stupid skills. And to be fair, those skills do take a lot of AP to um, to activate, but they're still there and they can still overpower you quite quickly anyway if there's one thing that i'm raising my eyebrow a little bit at tales rise at this it's that but by and large like the boss battles the first the about the boss battle against the first lord was really fun. yeah yeah that was the, a good one the boss battles are see even though i think the regular encounters are a bit button mashy that's fine they feel good to do whereas the bosses actually take some skill to get through and a lord some of the lord battles are whoop, pretty intense yeah yeah you have to dodge you, know, you have to be a lot more careful and considered in your approach if you just run in they will absolutely mash you to death right yeah 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 and i like the strategically timed qtes i'm not normally a big qte fan but this one is more of a punctuation right yes and just an annoying Kind of like a now do the fancy QTE like series of inputs so I can watch what is effectively an interactive cutscene. I know I love yeah. when I screw up those inputs, but no, with Tale of the Rise, the QTEs are a lot of fun. They are. And honestly, they're quite useful because some of the bosses, when you think you've depleted their, their health bar, it, they're still hanging in there. So yeah. those QTEs can really finish them off. And there have been instances where I came very very close to losing even though the boss seemed to be down so at least the qte makes sure they're dead it deads them for good okay nadia let's talk about delta ruin chapter two which of course as we already mentioned was announced during the sixth anniversary stream now nadia you played part one of delta ruin have you picked up delta ruin two yet not yet I it is on my to do list this week because I played one back when gosh US Gamer was a thing and it just kind of dropped all of a sudden and anytime Toby Fox drops something all of a sudden the it sends the world into chaos for a couple of days so I have not downloaded Delta Rune Chapter Two yet in fact I have to make sure I can because my save was on my old computer for Chapter One so I might have to play through Chapter One again and that's fine it's only a couple hours but yeah this is uh. This is what people have been waiting for for a couple of years now. Talk me through, what is Delta Run? <laughs> it's so hard to describe. Maybe there's more of an explanation in part two, but it's almost like an alternate reality version of Undertale, where you are playing as Chris instead of Kara or Frisk. And you end up in this world of like darkness, and you have to you know free the Fountain of Light or something like that, and you end up with two characters, Susie and Asriel, and not Asriel, 
uh, Razriel. I, I forget how it's basically an anagram of Azriel, who is from the first game. But it's hard to describe because it's it's Toby Fox. It's Undertale-ish. It's full of secrets and weird things and very, very, very hard optional bosses if you should feel like fighting them. Should I play it? Did you like Undertale? Did you play Undertale? I did not. I would play Undertale first. And if you like it, sure. Okay. So is this like really connected to Undertale? I think so. And I think it's part of the fun, if you can call it fun, depends who you are, I suppose, is finding out how the game connects to Undertale. Because it's, at least as far as part one goes, is not 100% clear. Alternate reality seems to be the likeliest explanation, but there could be so many more threads there that I just haven't seen yet. Oh, so it's one of those games that the community has to unravel. Oh, yes, yes. Very much like, I mean, Undertale had its secrets for sure, like the character of Dr. Gaster, who would appear like very, very, very rarely in Undertale and was just this creepy sort of cameo, but was linked to a whole bunch of conspiracy theories that had to do with Sans and Paprius. And yeah, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot to, to give your mind some exercise if you like Undertale and, and Deltarune. Nice holiday gift for Undertale fans, then. Yeah, there you go. Happy Halloween, Christmas, summer. I don't know. Is this on Nintendo Switch or is it just on PC? I think it's just PC for now. I think the first chapter is on Switch, though. I can't remember for sure. Well, whenever it comes on to Nintendo Switch, you can listen to it on your Bluetooth headphones because just out of nowhere, one night, Nintendo said, flip the Switch. And all of a sudden... (laughs) Bluetooth headphones worked with the Nintendo Switch. And I was just like, you could do that all along? This was a thing? Because, I I mean, it had a Bluetooth receiver. It just wasn't compatible. I was just like, wow, I'm so annoyed right now. There must be so many hidden switches in the Switch, so to speak. And I'm sure one of them will be flipped and they'll all blow up in our hands one day. And Nintendo will say, here's a new Switch. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just like, all I want from the Switch is themes. We're never going to get that at this point. Ah, don't never say never. This is a good opportunity, I think. As we were talking about this on Nintendo Voice Chat, now that uh, the Switch OLED is coming out, this is, I'm kind of expecting a bunch of announcements. Uh, This Mm. is, whenever Nintendo does a model refresh, they usually come out and release a bunch of extra stuff. I think the themes coincided with the new 3DS, in fact. Oh, okay. You might be right about that. Well, I hope I hear some good news. Yeah, so, I mean... And who knows, maybe we'll be getting some new cartridge, some consoles in Nintendo Switch Online, like, say, Game Boy and Game Boy Color. I've been hearing a lot about N64, too. Yeah, I mean, I, all of these would be great. Give them. Give them to us, Nintendo. Or at least just give me some more Super Nintendo games that I want to actually play. Over on NVC, we've been doing the hypothetical N64 Mini. It's like, which games do we want on the N64 Mini? Sorry, RPG fans, my pick was Rogue Squadron, because... <laughs> I mean, Nintendo and RPGs, rather, N64 and N64 RPGs. N64 did not have any good RPGs. I'm sorry. No, like uh, except, yeah. except for Ogre Battle. Ogre Battle, yes. You may as well count Zelda, because what else are you going to count? Yeah. Quest 64, which is not good. Quest 64. Yeah, it was fun talking about the N64 and the console RPG Quest. I felt like we were talking more about the PlayStation in some ways, <laughs> and like how it got, <laughs> and how Nintendo and Square went through their big breakup so oh yeah like but we all knew about that when it happened but hearing and learning about the the intricacies of that argument from matt leone's oral history of final fantasy 7 like that was absolutely fantastic i really enjoyed reading that by the way shout out to a store that just opened up in my neighborhood it's in alameda it's called the experience share it's great 
That's a great it's, name. Uh, it's this retro. It's basically a hobby shop. You know, like this uh, this hobbyist opened it up. A lot of fairly rare games in there. Some great stuff. Uh, they have get this, Nadia. They have a full boxed copy of Earthbound for two thousand dollars. Holy with crap! The strategy guide and everything. Yeah. I have a copy of Earthbound that has everything in it. I got it years ago. Uh, I think it's on my shelf right now. Let me look. Uh, that is worth a lot of money, Nadia. Okay, it's in my bedroom somewhere. But yeah, it's uh, when I got it, it was several years ago. And even then, it was not cheap. It was a gift for my husband. Oh, well, that's a very nice gift. It was. So yeah, we have a complete version of Earthbound. They also have a complete version of Einhander and a complete ver- uh, version of the original Persona. And they have a freaking Jaguar kiosk. I played Tempest uh, 2000 for the first time. How was it? Eh, not great. <laughs> Jaguar is not a good console. Sorry. No. Do you remember the the ads, though? 64 bits. Do the math. Got oh, it. Yeah. When, we, when we fell and for that stuff. And the magazine ads of a giant Jaguar attacking Sonic and Mario. Yeah, yeah. Too yeah. bad. The games weren't exactly, uh, you know, good. But I've been going to that shop kind of on a weekly basis because... I'm trying to get a slim PS2 mini Japanese so that I can oh. play Super Robot Wars Alpha 3 on our new Sony PVM monitor. <laughs> Perfect. Then you'd have the whole set. You'd be ready to go. I'd have the set. Be happy as a clam, honestly. So Because I have the PS2 slim, but of course, it's the North American version. Yeah, it's... It's a great shop. I, I love that shop so much. It's right here in Alameda. I can't believe it's within walking distance. Sometimes just the, the heavens open up and the greatest store just arrives out of oh. nowhere. And you're like, what is going on? That's how I feel whenever a sushi shop opens up near me. I also live near a great arcade called High Scores with its Smash Brothers Melee uh, kiosk. I'm just like, how can I be so lucky? How can Alameda be so cool? It has like Melee is what you're saying? Yeah, it's Smash Brothers Melee custom uh, cabinets. Oh, that's pretty cool, actually. It is. Yeah, it's really, really neat. Uh, freaking COVID makes me uncomfortable yeah. like, actually going there, unfortunately. Because, you yeah. know. I, I don't know what it's like over there, but in Ontario, we still have strict regulations on how many play- people can be in a building. So, yeah. Yeah, I go. I still go there because I want to support them and I want of them course. to be okay. But I... Also, I've been like, well, this is really kind of playing with fire, even when masked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, unfortunately. Does the owner know about Axe of the Blood God? Uh, oh, which one? Experience share or high school? Either one. No. Though, uh, actually, I got to talking to the owner, who's a really cool like guy, you know. And uh, like, it did actually come out <laughs> that I'm in the games media. Uh-oh. <laughs> he was like, and it was like, oh, boy, here we go. But I, I didn't tell them about out. I didn't tell them about Axe of the Blood God. I just told them about IGN. So. Oh, okay. That probably made them sweat a little bit. Uh, I was like, whoa, IGN. I was, like, I was like, wow, that's like the first time I've ever actually had somebody go, whoa, uh, regarding somewhere that I've worked. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Uh, other RPG news. Nadia Rush is in Monster Hunter Rise. Lol. Yeah. You can uh, get a layer for Rush from, of course, from Mega Man. He can be your Palamute skin, apparently. Oh, I got Amaterasu already. So. That's, I don't know. I feel like that's the better one. I love Rush, but that's Amaterasu is, is pretty much the pinnacle. Nadia, I saw a thread on Resetera and I thought of you. 
And I thought about how mad you would be at that thread because I was mad on your behalf. It said, (laughs) Mega Man is overrated. And it said, there have only been a couple of good Mega Mans, Mega Man X and Mega Man X2. And even those are marginal. And I'm, I almost reached through the screen and grabbed this child and slapped him. child. Yeah. It was the Batman slapping Robin meme. I was like, how dare you? How dare you? Yeah, that is a very bad take, especially since... Bad enough that I went and started ranting about a clickbaity Resetera thread on my podcast. (laughs) I don't follow Resetera. I don't really go to them very often, so... um, I go there on a daily basis now because I need to cover news, and so a lot of stuff pops up there, so... Yeah, but I I am very disappointed in that that take. Very disappointed. That's a bad take. Darkest Dungeon 2, Nadia. It's going to be in early access next month. I am very excited. Darkest Dungeon is one of my favorite games. Yeah, I bet you're very excited for this one. Uh, me, I'll, I'll sit on the sidelines. I don't like to be punished very when I play my games. This one might be a lot more forgiving than oh. the first Darkest Dungeon. I think that they realized that a lot of people who loved Darkest Dungeon, and I'm, I'm in that category, just ultimately did not beat it because it's too much of a grind. Yeah. Ultimately, if anything kept it out of the Pantheon, if we ever do Darkest Dungeon for the Pantheon, I don't know that I could put it in just because it's just there's a certain point where you run out of steam unless you really, really, really like care. Because after beating the same boss for the third time, you're like, okay, I get it. <laughs> I got yeah. it. All right. Yeah. They're like, I think they're making it more of a roguelite with the idea of like going, okay, like you're actually going on discrete runs rather than playing through a a game that takes a zillion hours and oh by the way the party that you've been building for ages can just die because you accidentally ran into a very unlucky encounter i feel in this post hades age if you are making a roguelite you can take so many lessons from hades in terms of tailoring your difficulty for your game i don't think there's any conceivable reason to have a game that is just punishing all the way through and you take what you get and go to hell if you don't like it. I think that there is room for all, all player levels. Like you can, you should be allowed to, to tone things down or build them up as much as you like, which is something you can do in they Hades. They actually did have an easier version. Uh, they okay. released an update that it toned down the difficulty quite a bit. If I recall correctly with darkest dungeon, I think the thing was, and, and, and I took it, but even then I, I still didn't beat it. Because it wasn't that it was like too hard or whatever. It was just I had all of my parties. I was building them up. It was just at a certain point I ran on Steam and yeah, I want yeah. to keep playing. But oh my god, there are points where that game is just mm, it just sings. You know, when you're going through and you're reaching the all of the bosses for the first time, and you're getting a really good party going, and ah. Uh, the the character customization that game is so good. The art is so good. There's so many games that try to ape Darkest Dungeon and they do it badly. Darkest Dungeon <laughs> is a one of a kind. Yeah, so I'm hoping then that they rebalance the game for the second installment or give us some more difficulty like they options. Are. They want people to actually finish this one. Good. If that's the case, hell, I'll check it out. But I, I hope they keep the sense of danger. Oh, I'm that sure was they in will. The original Darkest Dungeon, because that was what made it special, was the sense that death really was around the corner, that your characters could go crazy and get eaten all the time. Like the the Eldritch abominations really felt truly Eldritch in that game. 
Yeah, that totally makes sense. I feel, though, like Fire Emblem learned a lesson about making things too hard for people all the time, and that's why they gave us the more casual options, and that brought in all the new fans. So, you know, the hardcore still have their hardcore options, and the new fans still have their, you know, more casual options, and there's room for both. And finally, Nadia, rest in peace to Norm MacDonald, a true comedy legend. Go listen to, go watch his absolute destruction of the ESPN Awards sometimes, the ESPYs. <laughs> Amazing. He was the host and he basically just roasted the entire event the entire time in that incredible deadpan way. Uh, he will be missed. Norm MacDonald that was real. That sounds like one. your kind of comedy right there. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. King of deadpan. And King of, I love totally deadpan. King of deadpan. I remember most fondly his coverage of the O.J. Simpson trial. Mm. That was my father still quotes the day after the verdict came in. He says, it's official. Murder is now legal in the state of California. I think that was the, that was the line that got him a cat got him fired, actually. Really? Yeah, because he got fired because he infamously pissed off an NBC executive who was pals with O.J. Oh, I see. I did not know that. And Norm MacDonald is the person who never knows when to stop. Yes. He just keeps going and going and going. Uh, R.I.P. He will uh, be missed. He will be missed. All right, Nadia. Now is on to our main topic, bards with a Z. Don't go away. It's time to talk about this week's topic, which is Bards, a subject that was submitted by patron Drew Wobranis, who is at the $50 level. Thanks so much for the support. Drew, yes, we're going to talk about a little bit about the history of the Bard class. We're going to talk about their relative merits. We're going to talk about some of the famous Bards. And we're also going to come out and be like, do Bards deserve the hate that they get? Or is the Bard hatred kind of overstated? I guess we'll be finding out. I guess we will at some point be talking about a certain spoony bard, which may be the reason that the bards ha have kind of a bad rep. Well, at least with JRPG fans. But bards, of course, come from real life. They were uh, poets, wandering minstrels back in the days of the Middle Ages, back when you passed along news by song, apparently. I always wondered if I like was born in another era, like way far back, if I would have been like a, a bard or a singer or an entertainer or, or whatever. Well, beats being in the, the convent or being stuck uh, in the fields as a peasant, better to be a wandering minstrel, I say. My parents probably would have packed me into the convent right away just before I could try anything. But bards, of course, in RPGs, both Western and Eastern, are generally nonviolent characters. They might carry a bow, but usually they have a guitar and or a lute or some kind of musical instrument, and they play songs to buff and debuff your characters, give them various abilities. In Bravely Default 2, for example, uh, you have the bard who can buff the entire party using their various songs. And the bard class is just okay. I was using them for a while, but the buffs weren't nearly powerful enough and it felt like they were constantly wearing off and in having that character administering the buffs and debuffs they were kind of taken out of doing the damage 
And so yeah. as a result, I felt like overall I wasn't doing as much DPS. So the Bard class uh, premiered in Strategic Review, which is, was an, is an official Dungeons & Dragons newsletter published in the 70s. Uh, it was created, as far as we know, by Douglas Schwegman. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Hopefully I am. He he penned that particular profile for Bards in that particular issue of the newsletter. And his vision for the Bards, for Bards, has not changed much since he made them. They've always been uh, a lighter class, lighter armor, more of a back row fighter, all about the buffs and debuffs, usually carrying a heart because that's what the... Um, the singers of old carried, they tended to carry more stringed instruments, lutes, harps, that kind of thing. Uh, you can bash someone real good with a guitar, too. That's pretty good. I guess a lute would hurt if, they, if you got one in the shin. Oh, that yeah. Would, no. That would be yeah. You could knock somebody out with one of those things. Yeah. So. You'll break the lute. It's a one-time thing, but <laughs> in a pinch. It's like going in to a berserker pinch. attack for a, a bard smashing the lute over their head. It's all about what debuffs and buffs the bard has. Like, we're going to get more into Edward, I'm sure, but he starts off really terrible and his harp is bad. You get a harp quite like quickly where he can put enemies to sleep, and that's pretty handy. Sorry, not even put them to sleep. I think he either put them to sleep or confuse them or something, but if it works, which it does often, then you have a pretty powerful character on your team. Yeah, it kind of depends. I think that the best bards are the ones that can also actually do damage as opposed to just strictly doing buffs and debuffs. Yeah, definitely. Um, they're typically a more balanced sort of character. Rarely lawful, usually mischievous, usually seductive. Not always, but usually. Usually very dressed in like their absolute Sunday best all the time. Like They just have the most pimped out costumes of all time not quite as nimble as a ranger or an archer which is why i tend to go with those classes before i go with a bard but if you use a bard properly they can be a lot of fun i have a question nadia does silvando yes. count as a bard i am going to say yes he's like a performer he does it's buffs and debuffs on your party right he does a lot of buffs, a lot of debuffs. He has a lot of healing, but he also has some really powerful attacks. So he's a very, very good bard. But I think he's the kind of character where if you went to him and said, Silvando, are you a bard? He'd be like, yes, darling, of course I'm a bard. What a silly question. One of the cooler bards is Leliana from Dragon Age. And she used to be a traveling bard, but she's also like an assassin bard. She's That's like a cool. spy bard, right? And yeah. so... Mixing those two elements together is kind of cool. And she appears in pretty much all of the Dragon Ages. She's one of the most popular characters. Very French. Uh, people are a little mixed on the accent, as I was discovering when I asked for opinions on uh, Leliana. But she is certainly one of the more memorable characters, I think, in a Dragon Age. I like her a lot. I always, And she could teach you how to be a bard in Dragon Age. That's what she could do. I would imagine that she could, like, does she play a lute? The thing with Liliana is that it's not like she's your typical bard where she's walking around with a lute. She's not like Dandelion, basically. Oh, okay. She's much more of a, she's just a rogue, right? But for some reason, a, a bard in the world of Dragon Age is badass, super cunning, full of, like, she has the dagger, she uses a bow and everything. She uses songs, right? There are actual right. songs and everything and ballads that will buff you buff you up and everything that's her sub specialization of uh, i believe of being a rogue but i was thinking she could like 
take a uh, like a string off her harp and strangle someone with it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like she's it's a effective. spy master in Dragon Age Inquisition, for example. Yeah, so. that's perfect. So yeah, being a bard in the world of Dragon Age is fraught with danger. Yeah, apparently it reminds me of. See, I still don't get this this progression in Final Fantasy fourteen where you go from archer to bard, and the way they try to the way they try to pass it off is saying that the archers would play songs on their bowstrings to like mourn their fallen comrades and i'm like i'm not buying that i'm sorry uh i didn't like playing it's my bard. class in uh that's my class in final fantasy 14 oh the the archer archer bard yeah yeah but then it turns into are you go from archer to bard then bard has a lot of responsibility attached to it because yeah of course you're buffing you're debuffing speeding up the party and all that stuff slowing down the enemy i don't need that kind of responsibility in my life so forget it yeah Leliana, I like Leliana, actually, and she had a nice little DLC. It's very short. It's kind of a short story, very tragic. And I Aww. think that's what endured, endeared her to a lot of people. But I think bards need a little bit of tragedy so they can sing about their sadness. You know what a good bard does in a game? Mm. A good bard is kind of like the soundtrack, sort of like, yes, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, in the, the Witcher show, right? Yeah. I, or whatever it jaster is it jaster jasker yaskier that's, yaskier. that's the name yaskier. sorry yaskier uh has some like banging songs right and you're like uh, like oh, okay you can you can hang around here you're, you're the comic relief sometimes you sing sometimes you're mournful you set the mood and he's very much the typical bard in that he kind of trails behind and sings the songs of like the adventurers and he makes up the lyrics as he goes along and that tends to be uh, a trait of bards they tend to be that annoying hanger on who is penning poetry in the back while everyone's getting their ass kicked by monsters i love the the notes that you just dropped in here like apparently they're almost never lawful i did not realize that they're usually portrayed as seducers and charmers everyone's done that one D campaign where the part bard gets the party into trouble because the mayor's daughter got mysteriously knocked up or whatever. Yeah. So chaotic good. As I said, they are seducers, they're charmers, they're just trouble. Bards are trouble, but not in the obvious sense that rogues are or thieves are. People tend to not look at people don't really look at a bard and say, Oh God, what's he gonna get up to? Like they would with a thief. But they're always up to something. I think bards kind of tie into the buffs and debuffs can be really undervalued in certain RPGs, certainly in a game like Final Fantasy, where I mean, you could put haste and everything on your characters. Those are good. But a yeah. lot of the buffs and debuffs and status effects just weren't all that great in Final Fantasy. So I think such characters tend to get sort of shrift until Final Fantasy 13, I suppose. Uh, that, that was one example where you definitely needed the equivalent of because they're not really a bard, but a character that could put buffs and debuffs and all of that, all the status effects on bosses, because certain bosses had to be having uh, certain status effects. But Dragon Quest has always been more of a buff and debuff game. Yes. Uh, Dragon Quest, you always do need a character like Sylvanda, who I always did have in my party, because he had those multi-targeting buffs, debuffs, and heals and stuff like that. And like I said, if he needed to take out a sword and, and give someone an ass whooping, he was totally capable of that too. So I like those bards that are balanced, that truly are balanced between uh, strength and magic ability. It, you don't have to have someone as powerful as a warrior. And I'm not expecting them to take hits like a tank or anything like that. But I want a 
cool nimble bard who has songs that can help out and if they need to whip ass then they can whip ass and not hide the way that edward does in final fantasy 4 i tend to avoid characters that can put an enemy to sleep because i find it a waste of time it's all see in dragon quest it's not a waste of time because it's not dependent on oh no you hit the enemy they're awake again it's all up to luck and rng if your your character can get its ass beat and still be sleeping away like in pokemon Putting a character to sleep is really useful because yeah. then you can that makes it a lot easier for you to capture them. Yeah, Pokemon definitely subscribes to the Dragon Quest school of sleep where hitting them, you can hit them all you like, they might wake up, they might not. And if you're in a battle and your Pokemon's asleep, you can be screwed if you don't have the, a wake up thing. There's a specific rule in the Smogon rules, which is the sleep clause. You can only put one Pokemon to sleep. Because oh. otherwise, it's just kind of OP because there are certain characters that have sleep attacks that never miss. Right? Yeah, like uh, Nightmare or whatever. Like Gengar can just absolutely demolish a, a sleeping character. Because Gengar wasn't the one that would be putting you to sleep. But there are certain there are certain Pokemon. Oh, Spore. Yeah, Spore. Oh, because right. there are certain Pokemon that have Spore and Spore always hits. And yeah. Spore will always put you to sleep. And... So they could just theoretically spore your entire party and then just pull in a sweeper and just completely wreck you. So that would be kind of boring to watch and play. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. That's why you want to have it so that only um, only one can, Pokemon can be put to sleep at yeah. a yeah. time. But even then, it's still really powerful. Everything depends on how the game works with a bard because Final Fantasy tends to be a game where uh, a series where status effects don't stick on enemies and bosses very well. Dragon Quest is a game where status effects cling to enemies and bosses very well. So it, it all depends on, you know, how 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 the game works with that bard. And it could be why Final Fantasy doesn't have a lot of bards in it when I think about it. Well, Nadia, bards kind of stretch back, at least in video games, stretch back to before Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy. Uh, they arguably got their start with A Bard's Tale, which came out in the early 80s. It was programmed by Michael Cranford. There's a, a really good interview with him over on US Gamer, rest in peace, talking about uh, the significance of Bard's Tale and how the Bard's Tale inaugurated the second wave of RPGs. Like I'm sure we'll hmm. cover that more when we talk about them in the PC RPG quest next week. But that was uh, the bard was an interesting character class in these games because they brought the concept of buffs and debuffs arguably into the PC RPG JRPG space. Okay, I didn't know the bard that a bard's tale was kind of the start. I know that there was a remake, and I thought that was just bard's a tale was early '80s, and it was uh, it was a very notable RPG uh, for sure. It was kind of. Uh, I think Parrish half described described it as half adventure game, half RPG. Like we were going from more of the pure dungeon crawlers that characterized the early days of RPGs into something that more resembles what we have today. And going by what I know about Bards, it sounds like a Bard's Tale stuck very close to D&D rules. So <laughs> again, that's an example of the class. I mean, so did everything back then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they grew, didn't necessarily evolve. I guess bards didn't really need to evolve. Bards are whatever you make of them. The Bard's Tale came out in 1985. 
It was uh, I was five years old. Yeah, so that would have been one year before Dragon Quest. Now, see, Dragon Quest, the original Dragon Quest, has its own bard. You can't play as them, but there is a bard in the series who was paid tribute to named Galen. And in the first Dragon Quest game, you have to get Galen's harp as part of proving that you're the descendant of Erdrick, blah, 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 blah. And this involves going to one of the hardest dungeons in the game. It's very dark, very full of enemies, very full of bad enemies. And you retrieve the silver harp, which was left there by Galen. It's called Galen's Tomb. He was buried there. He's a famous minstrel. And this harp, when you play it, it attracts an enemy to you right away. So it's just like how bad of a bard you have to be for your music to <laughs> get monsters pissed off at you and kick your ass. A very, very bad, I think. Or maybe not so bad. Maybe good music will piss off a will piss off a monster. I don't know. What's interesting is Dragon Quest Three being a prequel to Dragon Quest. You, when you go to Alfgard, you meet Galen, and he's having a fight with his parents, and you actually have to reconcile the the two of them. And I, it's a really neat little quest, and especially if you knew Galen from the first game. And when I first saw it, I was just like, "Wow, I need and now I know who you are. That's really cool." Well, interestingly enough, in Bard's Tale. Uh, the bard was actually a character class. It was just one of the character classes. I've noticed that games tend to not really have bards so much as they have bard classes. And it was originally called, it wasn't called the Bard's Tale to start. It was called Tales of the Unknown. But then it became the Bard's Tale over time. Once the sequel started coming around. Yeah, when I think of Tales of the Unknown, I think of Tales of the Crypt Keeper or, or Twilight Zone or something. Are you afraid of the dark? Are you afraid of the dark? That's such a good series. I don't care what anyone says. And the Bard's Tale makes you think instantly of, oh, okay, this is a fantasy game. This is loots and maidens and dragons and stuff like that. So that's probably the image they wanted to go for. So, N Nadia, I think one of the questions that we were kind of having on our mind when we embarked on this episode was, are bards good? Because... <laughs> you did not seem particularly like excited about bards. And I was like, I will take the side of the bards. I am so, so on bards. I am learning to love bards. Now, first of all, I want to give a shout out <laughs> to Revolution X in the arcade, where you play is literally the tagline is music is the weapon. And you are throwing music and CDs at, <laughs> at, at bad people while Aerosmith is playing in the background. Now, I know it's an arcade game and it's an action game and not an RPG, but I'm going to give that, I'm going to count that as a bard. You become a bard in that game. That's a pretty badass bard, especially since the music is coming from like Get a Grip, which is my Aerosmith from my, from my teenage hood. You kind of mentioned being saddled with Edward in Final Fantasy IV was traumatic. And I think <laughs> a whole generation of RPG fans was definitely traumatized by Final Fantasy IV and Edward. I think that for a lot of us who didn't grow up with computer RPGs, e.g. myself, we didn't know what bards were about. And Edward was a good example. He could do buffs, he could do debuffs, he could charm the enemy, but he, he comes at a very awkward part of the game where you have Cecil, who's a dark knight, he's very powerful. You have poor baby Rydia, who <laughs> just gets falls over when, a, when an enemy flicks her. And you have Edward, who again has extremely he's he's it's said in the game many times that he's actually very weak he's a little flabby noodly arm sort of guy and he gets his ass kicked very Just easily a complete too. wimp getting he's banged over wimp. the head by tella yeah he, he's a, he gets called a spoony bard and tella hits him with a with a rod and he's just like eh, stop please please but i've grown to like edward a lot more once i learned how to use him He's he's really cool. He gets his redemption several times over in the after years. That game's got to be good for something. 
he's in in Final Fantasy games where sorry in Final Fantasy four adaptations which which let you play as Edward after the game like you know proceeds to the point where you can pick your characters. He's really, really badass. Like he has some incredible, incredible skills to him. And again, in after years, he's really cool. And Ash and I were talking about him a little bit in our Final Fantasy IV character ranking and saying how, yeah, even though he's, you know, weak as hell, he's not a typical bard in that he's not like the usual seducer, charmer, trickster. He's a guy who was very much in love and he lost his love and he's very, very mournful about it. And it's actually kind of sad and how the after years, all the characters are, you know, married off, but he's still alone and he's clearly still, you know, a little bit lonely about for losing Anna. Yeah. Maybe the Edward hate was a combination of a, he wasn't very good in battle. B toxic masculinity. C we were all immature little shits. <laughs> and we were like going, suck it up, Edward. Yeah, yeah. You lost your love, but be a man. And, uh, this was the early nineties. And it really we're was. All, we're, we're all better now. Sorry, Edward. I uh, formally of, uh, I formally offer an apology. You're not so bad. Yeah, so do I. And you know, it was kind of a rough part of the game where Cecil committed genocide and had to deal with that, and Rudy yeah. lost her mom because Cecil killed her, and so they all had lots to deal with, and so did they Edward. All had, they all had some stuff to go through. They did. So. It, I think it's Rydia who tells him to suck it up too. And when Rydia, baby Rydia tells you to suck it up, I mean, that's like, okay, maybe I should smarten up a bit. Get over it. Yeah, your girlfriend died and it was one of the most traumatic moments to your life. Clearly, Rydia has never played an indie game before. Doesn't <laughs> know about not. dealing with trauma. Yeah, so I, I offer my apologies to Edward. I think you're okay. I, 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 I enjoy playing as him when I get the opportunity to and, and experimenting with what he can do. He's all right. He's a cool dude. He knows where his towel is. Wait a minute. He was named Gilbert in Final Fantasy IV? Mind blown. He was, yes, he was named Gilbert in Final Fantasy IV. And he, according to like the extra lore, he comes from a family of merchants and bankers. And he's like, screw this. I don't want to be Prince. I want to walk around playing an instrument all my life. And so he did that. And his family didn't really disown it, but I don't think they were very happy with it. But I do know that Gil, the term for Final Fantasy money, comes from that family. I think the reason that bards, like Edward really personifies the bard concept, right? Yes. Kind of a, a little bit of a weenie, plays, <laughs> the, plays the harp, and you're going, they're firing, they're firing music and it does no damage. I don't like this like character. Why, why do I have them in my party? And, you know, especially in classic art video game archetypes, you, you, you want the cool warrior, the cool ninja, or the cool magic user. And so you, then you get the, you know, the comic relief who plays the harp and you go, the harp. maybe I don't want you. Yeah. Again, this is a part of the game where, see, when I played Final Fantasy IV, I was still pretty shaky and new at RPGs. And Final Fantasy IV doesn't always have the best balancing at all times, and that's a rough patch where they put stick you with Rydia and Edward and expect you to live. It's it's a challenge, but you can do it. Certainly, you can do it quite easily. Like if you're if you know what you're doing, but if you're new, it's a it's a bit of a a rough go. Fast forward to today, and Silvando maybe has turned things around. I mean, Silvando, I don't think would have been particularly accepted in the 90s or whatever people would 
not know what to do with Savando, and now Savando is one of the most beloved characters in Dragon Quest. I'm trying to think if earlier Dragon Quest let you be bards. I'm thinking Dragon Quest three. No, that wasn't a job change option. Four, I don't think had a bard in the party. Had a merchant though. Talon is freaking amazing. But yeah, Savando for me turned things around like i said he was always in my party not only because he was a great funny character but because he was a very very useful very quick and that's a good thing about bards they tend to be the ones who go first in battle and they tend to be that makes them all the more useful for for what they do it brings me back to monster hunter where in monster hunter <sighs> they have the hunting horn yes and in Monster Hunter Rise, I think the hunting horn ended up being pretty cool because it's like an electric guitar, right? And yeah. it's buffing the entire party, and the party definitely appreciates those buffs and the healing as well. If yeah. a bard can do some like group healing, then you go, okay, now I'm, now I'm interested. <laughs> now we're friends. Yeah, I've heard uh, of people who play Monster Hunter Rise, and they cheer when they get a hunting horn character in their party because... They're just so useful. I know in Monster Hunter stories too, of course, you could switch out your weapons and the hunting horn was one of those weapons. And I ended up often equipping myself with that because I have my monsters who can do the damage. I have my companion and his monster or her monster who can usually also do damage. So why not take on a, a weird electric guitar thing and do buffs, do regen, any, any bard who can do a regen song or spell is also my friend nadia let's talk about some famous bards really quickly we've already talked about edward we've already talked about dandelion slash yaskir there's also primrose from octopath traveler yes i when i compiled this list i was thinking okay what constitutes a bard i think it's fair to put dancers in there too because dancers tend to kind of fill in the same role of of buffs and debuffs in terms of fire emblem they usually give you another turn don't they yes they give you another turn so they're very very useful indispensable even exactly so that is a good example of a quote-unquote bard character who if used properly can be absolutely devastating but if you don't really know what you're doing they're they're, they're nothing special in fire emblem heroes they're so good that when you play in ranked mode if you have a dancer with you uh they actually dock you points <laughs> <laughs> they nerf you because the dancers are yeah they just dance too hard well it's because being able to get an extra turn is just that good just picturing them coming out onto the dance floor she's a maniac maniac just flailing <laughs> everywhere <laughs> oh god the monsters are dead this is amazing uh, in keeping with our celebration of Tales Month, there's Carol in Tales of Destiny, a wandering troubadour. This is pretty good, ultimately. I liked Carol. Um, I didn't really met, meet her myself. Uh, it's a guy. Oh. Carol's a guy. K-A-R-Y-L. Awesome. Ah. Uh-huh. There is also Olivier from Trails in the Sky, one of the most popular characters in that game. And yeah, that's uh, right. Olivier actually makes their way into Trails of Cold Steel as well. Uh, it's a prince. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm thinking, who's that? Then I realized I know him as Oliver because mm-hmm. that's who he travels. It's because Oliver travels. is traveling as Olivier yeah. Yeah, in and- Trails in the Sky. Like when you meet him. So a lot of the bards are kind of, you know, uh, how shall I say, lame. 
or like <laughs> kind of like Yaskier, right? The, yeah. the, the hanger on where you're like going, oh my God, you're so annoying. I'm going to just break the loot over your head. But with Olivia, they're the one who's standing in the corner, strumming the guitar, looking cool, mm-hmm. cool yeah. looking. The, they're the one that everybody wants to be when they pick up the guitar for the first time. Mysterious. Yeah, I think in Trails of Cold Steel, again, Oliver is going under incognito. He's doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes politically for you. And of course, he is a typical bard who is very, very it's seductive. like L- Liliana. He's like doing the whole cloak and dagger bard. Exactly. Bard. Maybe a little less bloody. He's, he mm. tends to be more of a talker and a charmer and a seducer. And Olivia is like a gunman, sir, and actually quite strong in Tales in the Sky, Trails in the Sky. So people, uh, People really latched on to Olivia in a big way. It makes sense. He's pretty awesome. Also continuing on with the Darkest Dungeon tip, uh, the Jester class, which is very useful for keeping your sanity up, right? (laughs) Because you have a Jester who looks kind of like Vega from Street Fighter 2. That's funny. um, Who can play music that will very much help with your character sanity. So in tight moments where everybody is stress like crazy the jester helps out a lot but then they also have some pretty good abilities as well in terms of making enemies bleed they can attack from the back row really well they can move around in the ranks uh they're very useful very useful class not like not overpoweringly strong but in the right moments you can really make use of a good jester i really love the idea of like your party facing down this lovecraftian horror and this guy's like, hey, I'll, you're, you're about to lose your mind. Because of course you are. I feel much better now. <laughs> Let me play the King of the Hill theme and we're, we're all, we'll all be good. It actually reminds me of the time I was, because <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, that can't work. But then I'm thinking of the time I was working, again, grooming, very high stress environment. And there was a really, really bad day. We were all having a terrible day. And one the the, the company jokester kind of comes into our, <laughs> into our grooming salon with a list of your mother jokes. And... <laughs> I'm like determined not to laugh at these jokes because I'm in a really terrible mood and having a really bad day. So then he tells the joke, uh, your mother is so fat that whenever someone says, hey, Kool-Aid, she goes through the wall, she goes through the wall. And I lost it. (laughs) So That's what I think of when I think of a bard like playing music in the middle of a terrible battle. Just I'm going to I'm going to let go because I have nothing. I, I can't help it. I just have to. Something has to break. And it's, hopefully it's not my sanity. Hopefully it's just my tense, my tension. So the so we've established that the bards we like are the cool cloak and dagger bards that are kind of mysterious and also do a great soundtrack for the party. Not the brave, 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 brave Sir Robin kind of bards necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I think I read while I was doing Except this Yaskier. research. Yaskier's all right. Yaskier's all right. But there's a pathos. There's a sadness around Yaskier and Dandelion. Yeah, you 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 care about them. They're part of the group. I think that Bard's doing the that kind of that pathos. When I was doing research for this episode, I was reading about how the first Bards were based on Alan Adale from Robin Hood and uh, the Pied Piper of Hamelin. Now that's interesting. I will steal your children. Oh, song Ricky. Very. I like that you wrote every jackass with a guitar standing in an inn from Skyrim. That's true as well. I think there's a couple of inns where they're being heckled, usually with good reason. All right. Final thoughts on bards. 
I have grown to appreciate the class a lot more since my terrible outing with Edward. I think if they are used properly, they can be some of the most valuable characters in a party. At the same time, I don't tend to reach for them. If I have a if I have to make a party and it's like, okay, pick your light class, I'm gonna go with a ranger, I'm gonna go with a druid, I'm gonna go with, you know, an archer. Probably not gonna go with a Why bard. I have a bard when you can have another mage. See, I don't even like mages that much. I mm. don't but mages like... are practically mandatory. You always have to have the area of effect character yeah. that's going to be able to blow up the entire map with a fireball. Yeah, I suppose that's true, but I tend to have a dedicated healer, and if a bard can fill that role, sure, come on aboard. But it really depends on the game whether they can or not. So they're usually a secondary choice for me, but I still think they're cool in in a way, in a in a nerdy way. Bards are the characters that you pick the second playthrough because you want to switch up the part the party exactly. a little bit and get away from your usual tank, rogue. Uh, damage dealer mage archetype exactly yeah they're they're a bit of a challenge to you so you would challenge yourself by using them although you being more of a band geek than me i'm surprised you're not more uh, in support of them uh i suppose so I, I, I have an appreciation for music it's just that i don't think that bards in general and games have been done especially well yeah sometimes i have to say just they they play boring music in games. Like, yeah, you can't ask them. I want a game where you can ask for requests from a bard. Oh, that'd be like in the campsite, right? Yeah, like uh, play Wonderwall. No, play Wonderwall, <laughs> or you're getting out of this. Anyway, party. here's Wonderwall. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. Get off my ass. I think that if you had the bard in your party and you're at the campfire and they just started playing music, that would be kind of a cool atmospheric thing. I think so. That would be. That would really kind of fill the fantasy uh, vibe of a game. Just everyone. That's one thing I did like about I do like about Tales of Arise. Everyone's sitting around the campfire, just kind of conversing with each other. That's the kind of thing I like to see in RPGs. That was in Dragon Age Origins as well. You know, yeah, in Darkest Dungeon, the old campfire moment. It's always really good. Didn't someone in our on, in US Gamer write a tribute to campfires? I can't remember. I did. It was me. Oh, okay, it was you. Because right, you were inspired by the Chrono Trigger scene. I was inspired by a bunch of things. Actually, I think I was inspired by the release of Dark, Dark Souls. Right. A Dark Souls. <laughs> one so, of them. One of them. And so I wanted to write about campfires in games and what they could like could mean. Because one of the first times I remember really enjoying a particular campfire scene in a game was with Dragon Age Origins, actually. So uh, where you would... Uh, every time when you got to nighttime, you would invariably have that campfire moment where you were hanging out with the entire party. And that was a great time to get to know everybody and take a breather. Yeah. So I think my first real campfire moment that I really appreciated was Breath of Fire 3, because you can pitch camp anywhere pretty much and talk to the party members and you hear like the birds in the background and the insects. And I, I love that sort of thing. Did you ever read Spellsinger by Alan Dean Foster? No. Oh. It's a very you kind of series, <laughs> Nadia. It sounds like something I'd like. So Spellsinger is about a janitor who gets pulled into a fantastical world with animals, animal people, right? And he gets to know a very roguish otter and a turtle who's like a wizard. The, the turtle is responsible for bringing him over here because the, the, the TLDR 
is that the enemies in this universe managed to get a hold of a nuclear bomb. Cool. And the turtle determined that he needed a, a wizard from our world, which would be an engineer. But he accidentally yeah. cast a spell for a sanitation engineer. And so <laughs> that's how he gets our hero. And our hero um, can play music badly. They're like in a band in like the circa the 70s or early 80s. Yeah. And so if he can sing properly, like he's singing various hits, you know, like Beach Boys, Sloop John D and all that. If he can sing the song properly, he can get good results and be very powerful. But more often than not, he ends up having drastically bad consequences or unintended <laughs> consequences. It's like pure chaos when he actually starts trying to del- do some spell singing. It's, a, it's an enjoyable YA kind of fantasy series. That sounds like a lot of fun. I might check that out. Yeah, it's it's, it's an oldie but a goodie, I think. Yeah. Especially the, the originals, the first couple of Spellsinger books are the best ones to read, I think. At the time, in the 70s and 80s, there were a lot of books like that where like incompetent people were pulled into fantasy worlds that needed to be saved, and the incompetent people were like, oh, I don't know. I think that it's a matter of all of these authors grew up reading Lord of the Rings back in the 60s. Right. And were like, yeah, but just imagine if a complete dope like myself ended up in this universe. <laughs> How would I be doing? Probably not well. Hey, that's a good story idea. Yeah, I don't think I'd do very well myself. I'd just be like, uh, where's the video games? Actually, come to think of it, why are so many bards useless? Like, Leliana is like the, the opposite of it. She's like the highly competent assassin action bard, right? But what, what is it about being a musician that makes you weak in these worlds? I guess it's just a, a stereotype of because you're artiste. not an action hero. You're not a warrior. You're playing. You're just a wimpy creative. Therefore, you yeah. kind of suck. And it's, that's not exactly fair. I know a lot of buff people yeah. can play mean guitar. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. It's like, yeah, you would think that in, in so many instances, playing the guitar is kind of cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you want to play a guitar because you're cool. But in these worlds, playing guitar is not cool. It's the opposite of cool. It's like the the old stereotype just just stuck and never really lodged free, and that's a shame because I'd love to see more games that have like strong bards that can mm. really back up their muscle. The way, like I said, Salvando's a good attacker, but hell, give me a tank who can play a harp. I don't care. I'll take it. Yeah, I just think you have to get creative with your your bard archetype in terms of how you're using them. Uh, how you're designing them in the game. Being able to have them do damage in creative and interesting ways uh, that just isn't, oh, now you're firing music at your enemies or whatever. Or just being like, uh, I don't know, you just can do a straightforward attack buff by playing a particular song. Like, have some fun with it. There's a lot you can do with music. There really is. And I mean, again, Revolution X, it was just a game. You were a bard with a gun. Like, it was, <laughs> what the hell? Why not? I have fun with the instruments too. Like it doesn't always have to be a freaking harp or a flute or, or an inst or a guitar. You know what about piano? Uh, a <laughs> a grand piano that you keep in a pocket <laughs> dimension. It's like I have a bag of holding. You keep all of your loot in here. I keep my piano. What? And, and you could take a piano and just really ram it into someone, and they're not they're not getting up for a while if you do that. No, exactly. It's a very useful weapon. And it would be really it would make a really interesting noise if you just boom. Like if you were like. When you were a kid, like, did you ever like screw around with the pianos? Like, the teacher would, re- yeah. would leave the I room. I played and piano bang on when it? I was growing up. Oh, you played piano? Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, are you are you any good at it anymore? Oh, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had stuck with piano because I was much better at piano than I was at trumpet. Oh, really? Yeah. I wish I'd stuck to clarinet. I wish I stuck to anything. <laughs> but yeah, I, there, there are better instruments out there. Saxophone. You there you have, go. Like the jazz man. From, yeah, have, uh, a j- have a jazz bar. That would be amazing. Well, drums. You could have an entire like rock band going on. You really that would could be a have great a- RPG party. Yeah, have a whole RPG party of bards playing different instruments. Yeah, like, let's make that happen. That'd be a fun. That'd be a fun game. It'd be called Bards with a Z. <laughs> bards with a Z. Bards with a Z. <laughs> and, and that is the exclamation mark that this episode will go out on. Thanks again to Drew for giving us this idea for the topic, and of course, we will continue soliciting topics from our 50 and 100 dollar level patrons going forward hey we got a couple of patrons coming up next month including our 100 dollar patron who's very very excited to talk about tactics ogre and ogre battle and frankly so am i looking forward to it all right and that is it for this episode thank you so much for listening as always if you enjoy the show please go ahead and give us a positive review on the podcatcher of your choice Follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. And follow us on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where you get access to all of our premium episodes, the Pantheon of the Blood God, the Summer of the Rings, the Great Tales ranking, well, early access to it anyway, and of course, early access to all of our episodes a week early and ad-free. We'll be back next week, as always, to talk more about the genre we love. But until then, for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. Happy adventure. Okay.